At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're so excited to speak to Sarah Saeed. Sarah is the founder of the global initiative, You Are the Change. Sarah is a climate activist, researcher, innovator, and poet in Toronto who's taken the stage around the world. Her research and work have been recognized by leaders of Parliament, David Suzuki, and other influential activists. Sarah's work has been published in Yahoo News, the Toronto Star, the Weather Network, and more. She's been named a top 25 under 25 environmentalist in Canada by Starfish Canada, top 20 under 20 in the world by Diversity in Action, and an Ontario junior citizen. Sarah, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here today. Well, we're it's an honor to have you here. We don't often get, you know, the a top 20 under 20 in the world on, on, our, on our show. So uh, we're delighted to have you here. First off, this is a podcast for entrepreneurs. So I'm wondering if there's any advice that you can share for young leaders and entrepreneurs and company builders in Canada. Yeah, of course. I really think that I, sort of like the biggest advice I would have is to follow your curiosity and your passion. Although that's very cliche and it's been said many times, I think that that truly is the is the best way to have an impact and also pursue something that you enjoy and that you love. So mainly for me, my greatest passion has been in the climate space and sort of digging deeper into technology. I realized that I very interested in more of like the chemistry area. So nanotechnology and material science. And this really was my whole passion in STEM and climate tech and climate action. So combining these two together, I worked on a lot of projects, which I'll be talking about later on, some of which have been researched in biodegradable plastics and, and designing biosorbents, but also developing different initiatives that connect youth with the resources and events and opportunities to leverage their own passions to create um 
change in a sustainable way and to become a change maker. So I think the first advice I would give is to follow your ambitions and your curiosity, because that is truly how um, you will get involved with something that truly matters to you. So for example, let's say if, if you're passionate about business, you're passionate about technology, you're passionate about, let's say, the creative arts. I think that each of these different mediums can be interlinked with entrepreneurship, let's say developing a nonprofit, for example. So I think that the the key to being a change maker is, uh, or the key to becoming an entrepreneur is that there's no one way to create change. It's really about what resonates with you. Because by choosing something that does resonate with you, you will have this longer term impact. And also you'll be invested long term to continue the project that you would be working on. I think my second piece of advice would be to enter this, let's say, entrepreneurship moment with a growth mindset. And that was something that I learned um, fairly later on in sort of my career and journey. And my biggest advice would be to redefine the way that you look at success and failure. And this really helped me throughout my journey. Initially, when I was in elementary school, I saw this poster um, that said that Success is your willingness to try. And while I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, I often found myself looking back on it and and not feeling very 100% certain that what I was facing was success, let's say when I got a rejection from, let's say, a grant like a grant Mm -hmm. that I had applied to, or let's say a fellowship that would really help take my global initiative, or let's say my project to the next level. So I think for me, what success truly means is my willingness to accept my failure and, and to move past that and to sort of continue to try no matter how many times it takes. So sort of based off of what that elementary poster said with an additional component. And then I think when I look at failure now, I really do see it as not making the best of the moment or not being the change that I want to see in the world. Because we see things in different ways and different problems that resonate with us, but not necessarily to others. And so I think that at the end of the day, each of us deserve the opportunity to work on something that resonates deeply with us. And um, like the famous quote says, be the change that you want to see. So I think going in with sort of this mindset that not embarking on that opportunity to create change is sort of failure. And then success is not getting the result you're looking for and willing to not get the result you're looking for. And then moving past that is sort of what got me through all those difficult times when I had to do multiple trial and errors with my research. So those would be the biggest two pieces of advice I would give to anyone. Wow, there's so much to unpack there. We could we could do the whole podcast just talking about what you just said. Um, one of the things I loved is 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 your conflation, if that's the right word, of you know entrepreneurship, nonprofits, activism, and and even scholarship and and science about having a growth mindset, about using failure as as as, as a stepping stone uh, to future success and not getting distracted or discouraged. You, you seem to live in all these worlds at the same time. Is that right? <laughs> sort of, yes. <laughs> but they all merge well really together at the end. So I think it's about viewing it as this one piece versus a separate pieces. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that applies to entrepreneurs is that I believe that setting up a for-profit company is just one aspect of entrepreneurship. It's probably, you know, the OG entrepreneurship, but there's lots of variations that are still just as entrepreneurial, just as hard and, and, and in many ways, just as rewarding in terms of setting up a nonprofit or just a movement and, and, and getting involved and giving it your own. Tell me, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? How do you describe yourself? 
I would describe myself somewhat as an entrepreneur. I would say I'm at the initial stages of being an entrepreneur. So with sort of like my research, that is something that I do want to develop hopefully one day into a product. And with my global nonprofit, I would like to transition that into something that could be more, that could have some business aspects. So let's say coding workshops or coding programs for uh, women who are interested in STEM. So I think I would say I'm somewhat an entrepreneur because I think that an entrepreneur doesn't necessarily need to have one definition. I think it's more about how are you leveraging sort of the the themes of business and developing sort of this plan in a way that contributes to society to have a positive impact. Right. I want to drill down into uh, some of the cool things that, that you're working on right now. But just before we do that, tell me a bit about your journey. You've been an activist, I guess an environmentalist since the age of nine, I think I read. Tell me about what's going on in the world that has led you into this path and what's your sort of philosophy? What's your ambition going forward? Well, I think I first want to say that I don't think anyone goes into this climate movement thinking or sort of like labeling themselves as a climate activist. I think that's something just that just happened. I was asked to speak at this conference, my very first um, public speaking opportunity, and um, my title was climate activist. So that was like the first time I think it really hit me that, okay, so my title is now a climate activist. But really how it all began was with my passion and interest in nature. So I've always been a person who likes to spend time outdoors. And while all my friends, we used to um, talk about like what we what we do when we go home, my friends would talk about the latest video game they're playing. And then there would be me who would talk about going for walks at the park. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was very enthralled by nature and sort of, um, you know, just everything in harmony and in balance and, and that equilibrium. And then as I sort of grew older, when I was nine years old, um, our teacher, I think this was about in grade four, but our teacher tasked us with this project where we had to research a global issue. And I was tasked with climate change. And so this was something that I had learned about, but not really to the depths of what climate change means today. I knew it in the context of sort of like the Arctic, the sea um, levels rising, and sort of all those images that you get about plastic pollution, the polar bears. But really, when I began to do research, and and as I grew older, I started to to develop a better understanding on what climate change really is. It's really sort of um, this inequality and and this how climate change disproportionately affects communities in the global south and women more than, let's say, the global north. And it's also about this disconnect between communities around the world that need to come together and work together to design solutions to the climate crisis that are also helpful and beneficial to every single community. This could include BIPOC, Indigenous, um, and, and communities from least developed countries. So that is essentially what I had learned about the climate crisis. And it's very scary, um, sort of like statistics and numbers. For example, over 1 million animals die each year just because of plastic pollution. And this really taught me and sort of boggled my mind of how something as small as a plastic water bottle is contributing to these deaths of innocent animals. Um, and so when I was nine, that that sort of like really resonated with me. And I realized that I wanted to be part of the change that I wanted to see. And that I was very fortunate to have the ability to just, let's say, go to my kitchen, turn on the tap and drink clean water, whereas other communities around the world, because of the climate crisis and pollution, did not have that basic human right. So that really sparked my 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 sort of climate action. And I began 
starting small by talking to my school about this issue. So then organizing Earth Day events, doing community cleanups. And then when I was in high school, that's when I officially started my innovation career, when I had developed a, a, a profound understanding of science. And my first project was in middle school that actually led me to this career in high school. And it was a lemon battery. So sorry, it was a what battery? A lemon battery. A lemon? Yes, a lemon. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> um, Yes, it, it was a very interesting project. Um, I found it off this um, science website and there are different kind of batteries you can make with fruits and different vegetables like tomatoes, uh, the potato battery as well. But I decided to do a lemon battery and this really taught me the very important um, sort of like, I want to say advice I would give to any young person is that your age does not define you and your age does not limit you at the same time. And so you don't need to have, let's say, the necessary level of expertise. Let's say after you graduate high school or you have your PhD to actually start innovating, it's something that you can acquire through research and developing an understanding on the topic. And with that sort of mindset, I went into high school wanting to take my love for science and climate action and put them together and create this sort of like ambitious goal to start designing solutions or at least conduct research in the beginning before actually designing something. And going back to that point about plastic pollution, that was something that really stayed with me throughout my career. And, and I had always found myself advocating for people to bring their own reusable water bottles to try to limit their plastic consumption the best that they can or to try their best to lead a zero waste lifestyle. And so I initially began doing a biodegradable plastic research by comparing different biodegradable plastics and designing one that is made out of potato peels and banana peels combined. And then slowly on, I was able to participate at the Toronto Science Fair. And um, this was like my first time at a science fair, and I had learned a lot from it. Fast forward a few years. Um, wait, sorry, I so made, I was just saying, yes. wait a minute. You, you did a, made a battery out of a lemon. Okay, I'll buy that. Yes. But then you made... A plastic water bottle out of potato oh. <laughs> peels and banana peels? Yes. Not a plastic water bottle, but like a thin film prototype oh, of a plastic made out of potato and uh, banana peels. And did that plastic meet the specs? Yes. So it did meet the specs a little bit. So since this was like my first sort of try of doing so, it was able to degrade in a few weeks, so about one to two months and had a, a shelf life about um, half a year, I believe. And um, overall, it was like a thin film prototype. So sort of something that could be used to, let's say, create a plastic bag. However, it was not tested to, let's say, um, carry, let's say, food in it. Let's say right. a plastic water bottle carries water. So that wasn't tested. And you were um, how old then? I was in grade nine. So so 14 um, years old or so. Yeah, something around that time. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. So that was like my first dive into this potential career, this potential field that I want to pursue when I'm older. And then a few years later, I really developed a niche for ocean pollution. So this would be the sustainable development goal uh, by the United Nations, I think number 14. And so with that, I had eventually read an article about oil spills. And that led me to do a bit more research about what are oil spills? You know, why, why are they so important in the news in particular? And what is being done to remove remediate this sort of situation whenever an oil spill happens. And that's really interesting because oil spills have been a problem for so many years, but I don't remember everyone, yeah. everyone you know, obviously there's lots of science going on we don't know about, yeah. but I don't remember reading about someone who says, hey, let's solve this problem. <laughs> 
Yes, that, that I'm so happy you brought up that point because that's exactly what I had felt when I had kept reading more articles. And one thing that particularly was very interesting that I had discovered is that there is no biodegradable sort of solution that's very efficient currently available right now. So going back to your point, I, I really wanted to see if I could see there was sort of this gap and flaw that I was seeing with current um, solutions and see if I could fix that which at the time was very ambitious for someone who was in grade 10. But I think the key was doing a lot of research beforehand to understand what the problem is and how that how sort of that plays a role into developing a solution. Eventually, I had randomly come across an article on orange peels and pomegranate peels, how they have this um, sort of compound called cellulose and polysaccharide. So essentially, these two um, compounds, they are hydrophobic, meaning that they repel water. And so sort of throughout these past two years, I've done like a lot of research on how hydrophobic materials could potentially act as adsorbents to a biosorbent. Mm. So a bit more context about that. An adsorbent is different from an absorbent. So like, you know, for example, a sponge is absorbent. So right. it, let's say, takes in water. An adsorbent sort of does the opposite. What it does is, let's say, the water would coat that material. Instead of being absorbed, it would just be like coated. So let's say on the top a little bit. So it would be um, separated from outside of another, from, yes. from another state. Yes, exactly. That's the perfect way to define it. So essentially, it's when a liquid would be coated onto a solid. And this phenomenon actually could work with pomegranate orange peels and as well with oil. So what would happen is because oil is hydrophobic and as well the compounds in those pomegranate orange peels are hydrophobic as well, what could end up happening is that these two would adsorb. So it, the oil would be coated onto the pomegranate orange peel once it underwent more sort of like so the term is called thermal modification of polymeric compounds, although that's very complicated. That's what it I call it too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it basically, what it means is you try to expand the molecules within those peels so that it can adsorb more liquid. Right. So fast forward, sort of like behind all the technical terms, I basically, after four trial and errors, I was able to design a biosorbent that contained these pomegranate orange peels that underwent these um, different solution chemical, um, I would say, processes. And the overall result with the addition of polysaccharide aerogels is a 98% efficient sort of like sponge um, I would say that can remove 98% of oil, different heavy metals. So let's say lead in water and different organic compounds in water as well. And in any type of water. So this could be salt, fresh, um, lake, river, ocean at different temperatures as well. Wow. So it's it's like, forgive me, but <laughs> I'll do an analogy. It's like creating a, a magnet that only attracts oil or lead or whatever. Yes, it's a magnet that attracts oil, lead, and organic compounds, these three. Wow. Wow. Now, what happened to that research? Is that Did that go anywhere? Is it going anywhere? Yes. So it's it's going somewhere. <laughs> um, so right now, so well, not right now, sorry. Uh, when I was in grade 12, which was last year, um, I presented this research at the Toronto Science Fair, and I had won first place. And went to the Canadian National Science Fair, where I had proceeded to win second place, and then went on to the International Science Fair, the Genius Olympiad, and proceeded to win second place there as well. 
So it was wonderful, sort of the success and winning the award. But what I found it really incredible was meeting the different young people from across Canada and internationally that are passionate about using technology to solve these global issues. And I found it so inspiring. I learned a lot from them. And it really taught me that youth power is when we all come together and we work towards a common goal in different mediums or different suitable ways. So right as of like right now, I've been presenting this research and this project at different conferences. For example, I spoke at Highway H2O. I spoke at Eco Canada's annual conference, Eco Impact. I will be attending the well. I will have be. I will have attended the STI, the Science, Technology, and Innovation United Nations Forum, and sort of like presenting this research, applying for many grants, and sort of. My main goal is to teach young people that you can be an innovator at any age and that there is no limitation to what you can do. But one of my future goals is to sort of take this research to the next level and work in a lab and have a ha- have a prototype that could be used as a product and then eventually start my own company. This is amazing research that you've done. You've just finished high school. Where are you headed next? I will be studying at York University with my major in biology and hopefully a minor in something in the environment. So let's say environmental sciences or environmental studies. So that's my next goal. I do want to continue my passion for like innovation. And so one thing that I'm working on right now that's sort of behind the scenes and behind the works is developing a proposal to design a rotating solar panel. So this really, this sort of idea came when I, earlier in September, September 2022, when I had read an article that said that currently solar panels only have an efficiency of about 21 to 22%. And that's your standard solar panel that you find, let's say, um, on people's homes, rooftops, and at the same time, let's say when you're driving past the highway or something along those lines. But something that really particularly interested me was how can I increase this efficiency? And I looked at sort of like sunflowers and that's where I got my inspiration from how sunflowers rotate in the direction of the sun and I thought well what if we created a solar panel that rotated in the direction of the sun that also harnessed different nanomaterials like let's say perovskites and graphene quantum dots which all have been proven scientifically previously to increase solar efficiency and so what if we create this new solar panel that can rotate and at the same time will be highly efficient. So that's something that I'm working on right now, sort of like a proposal to that. And I had the privilege of attending the Electricity Transformation Canada that happened in Toronto <laughs> in November. So that's sort of where I'm headed next. Now, I've, I've seen lots of uh, solar collectors that move with the sun. I don't know if they rotate with the sun, that they follow it around all day. They face east in the morning and west at night. Is that what you mean? Or are you taking it to the next level? Something like that, but also taken to the next level. Yeah. (laughs) With nanomaterials. Yes, exactly. (laughs) What a time to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. (laughs) And in science, uh, this is really amazing. Tell us about some of the projects that You've been involved with, with with other people. You've you've received these awards, these distinctions, top twenty youth in the world, top twenty five environmentalist in Canada. Where, where does all that come from? Is is that from the science work you've been doing, or is there more activism or poetry involved? So I think going back to the first question, um, I really do believe that there is no one way to create change. And so for me, I have multiple passions. I'm really 
passionate about technology. I'm passionate about climate action. I'm also really passionate about poetry. And that's something that started off earlier on in grade six. And so I didn't want to limit myself to, let's say, one one medium of my passion that I could use to change the world. I wanted to see how I could combine all of them together and change the world. So I think really with all the awards and nominations that I've received, which I'm so honored and grateful for, um, it sort of is related to all of my work encompassing the, the climate space. So this would be my technology. And this would also be a lot of the volunteer and, and community activism that I do. So earlier on, I started this new role at the Starfish Canada, which is this national nonprofit. And um, one of my roles is to facilitate different climate education workshops. And this really resonated with me because I was very fortunate to learn a little bit about climate change through that project that I did early on when I was nine. But some schools do not have climate education as, let's say, as a course. Actually, no school has that. Um, and so what we do at the Starfish Canada is schools can book our workshops and we'll go to those schools and facilitate these interactive workshops that, depending on the grade level, sometimes have storytelling, have sort of uh, debates, different ideathon sessions. So we try to get youth to think about ways that they, from their own perspective and in ways in their own community, they can support climate action and be an environmentalist. I think the key thing that our, our goal is during those workshops is to teach young people that, you know, anyone can be a climate activist. It's something as small as, let's say, making better climate cautious decisions. That already puts you on the stage of being an environmentalist because you're caring about our planet and our environment. Um, so that's one of the things that I, that I do, and at the same time, volunteer with a few different organizations like um, Green Schools, Green Future, all supporting the mission around environmental action and climate justice. So that's sort of where my scope and my and my my work takes me. Um, I do believe that I want to take action by leveraging my passions, but also how can I support different organizations that I work with in their role to make climate action more accessible to young people everywhere because I think that what we need right now specifically is to create this bridge of intergenerational action so where youth can come together and youth have the opportunity and spaces to to have their voices heard especially since the climate crisis is something that is going to affect our generation the most. Wow! Again, so so much there. You 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 you're doing some work with the creative within or in the creative destruction lab lab, which is a Toronto accelerator with many many moving parts. Can you tell us anything about what you're working on there? Yeah. So that was a program that I had done earlier on. I was a part of their apprenticeship program, and I had initially come through that come to know through about that program um, through the Knowledge Society. And essentially backing up to that program, that apprenticeship, it was this program, I think when I had joined, it was primarily focused on um, leveraging AI. That was one of the sessions that I had attended. And it really taught me more about how AI can be used for the greater good, essentially. And I think there was one session on climate action as well. Really what it was, it was they brought some, I think, guest speakers. And um, it, it was a very um, interactive session where we could ask questions and sort of like a like a fun workshop that was very educational. So that was what I had done during that program. And it really, it really leveraged and took my understanding of exponential technology to the next level. In terms of how I initially came to know about that program that um, through the Knowledge Society, the Knowledge Society is, is kind of like this incubator for youth who are really passionate about leveraging technology or STEM, mainly technology, though, to create worldwide impact. And um, through this program that I had done, I had 
really taken my understanding of nanotechnology and material science to the next level through these different modules that they have. And so I think really what I I would, how I want to sort of correlate this back to young people is that try finding different programs that are of interest and try registering for them. So this could be attending, let's say, a session, um, like a workshop session. This could be participating in, in some similar programs like the Knowledge Society, which also does have a global program. So seeing how you can develop a better understanding, because I think the key and and the great thing about knowledge is that it can always be acquired. So, you know, whether you're young, whether you're older, it's really up to how you want to educate yourself and then take that education and design something very impactful with it. It could be in the climate space. It could be in the social justice space because they're all interlinked at one point. Right. And that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, We're going to get back to that in a minute. But first of all, you mentioned AI. There's no hotter, hotter topic these days than artificial intelligence. You talked about using it to accelerate learning, to accelerate productivity. Uh, I can't remember the phrase you used, but what what did you learn about it that entrepreneurs should know? How should they be uh, entrepreneurs who are not necessarily in the, the, the science space, but how can they be leveraging AI to advance whatever project they're working on? I think the great thing about AI is that it's, it's very versatile. Um, you know, AI is in our phones. It's it's in many different programs. I think the key with AI is that you, you need to see how it plays a role in, let's say, your company. I, I want to approach this question from a climate lens, though. So I want to start off first by saying that every job is a climate job. And that is a phrase I had learned from a, a fellow panelist at the Eco Impact um, event earlier on in January. And I think when when we phrase it that way, it really teaches us that AI can be used for different for different ways. For example, the most simple way, let's say, would be ESG. So environmental, social, and then governance. And there's many different platforms out there that actually companies can register to and, and they use AI to help a company build their environmental portfolio and sort of limit their carbon footprint and make different goals to reaching net zero, which is one of the goals. So I think that AI is very versatile. Every company can use it in different ways. I would particularly say AI is a tool, but as any sort of tool, it needs to be used for good. So I think I would leave it at that. That's very cool. <laughs> and I agree. It does need to, it does need to be used for good, but it's, it's, it's so powerful. It's going to be fun to see where that goes. I think one of the problems in our entrepreneurial space is that science is making so many breakthroughs in so many areas, but most entrepreneurs have no way of accessing that. And a lot of scientists have no idea how to go about commercializing an idea or a project. How do you see that margin between the the, the, the applied sciences and, and, and entrepreneurship and business? I think that they are connected. And I'm going to, I, I want to sort of like go back to my example of how I want to potentially take um, the research that I had done to create a bioservant and then sort of transition that into a company in the future. So I think that there is sort of this like integration, they can work together and, and, and they do come together depending on, let's say, who the entrepreneur is. I think when we talk about, let's say, making it more accessible, I would say that there are some really cool programs out there, like these really cool newsletters that do share really relevant knowledge surrounding, let's say, what's going on in the tech space, what's going on in the entrepreneurship space of how, let's say, the the science is being used and let's say how that science is being transitioned into, let's say, a company. I had actually read earlier on in the summer 
of last year, there was this new company that was building um, this new type of solar panel that would have a higher efficiency. And, and first off, it started off as research, and then it slowly transitioned into a company. So I think that to entrepreneurs, um, my biggest advice would be sort of have a goal and a vision and mission on how you want to, let's say, take this research, let's say you're doing and turn it into something that could be a viable product and, and could be sold eventually. I do think that they're very interconnected, kind of just like climate change. You know, climate change is just this huge term. But when we dissect it, it's like a puzzle piece. There's many smaller pieces that contribute to climate change. So kind of climate change is like a metaphor on its own. It's the symptom of fossil fuel waste. It's deforestation of the Amazon forest. It's the plastic pollution. And it's the the disconnect of different communities. It's, it's, it's a lot of different things. It's the lack of education. So I would say that when we do look at it through the lens of science and then entrepreneurship, I think that science can just be research and then it can be published, but also science can take things to the next level. And I think some of the greatest innovations have started off as just research. For example, let's say um, the light bulb. Uh, it started off as research and now we have this product now and, and we're slowly taking that product and even making it better to try getting more sustainable results. Right. Um, you mentioned newsletters and things. How can entrepreneurs who are, you know, maybe they have a great ambition to do something, but they don't have an idea yet. And my impression is there's lots of, of ideas in science that, that, that aren't being picked up on by business people or entrepreneurs or investors. How can they sort of tap into these networks, do you think? So I think when it comes to an idea, I personally believe that every idea needs to resonate with a person. So for me, oil spills really resonated with me because it's something that happens very frequently and something that happens also close to my home country, which is Morocco. And so this really resonated with me and it's something that I wanted to solve. I think the first step in coming up with an idea is to do a lot of research and to know what you want to solve. I think that every good product or every good entrepreneurship startup nonprofit, for example, needs to have a goal that they want to reach and, and a mission that they want to achieve. It doesn't need to be in the climate space. It could really be about anything. For example, let's say you want to advance um, healthcare, make it more accessible, equitable, um, maybe going even deeper into that, for example, let's say to help people who are, let's say, visually impaired or disabled. So I think having this narrowed focus on, on what resonates with you and what you want to work on in particular. And the best way to get an idea is to, again, look at what you're passionate about and what what challenges do you see that maybe not a lot, not a lot of other people sort of think is a problem to them. So for example, going back to the oil spills, this was something I had noticed, but maybe not a lot of people did. So it was something that I had wanted to focus on and then pursue into designing the bioserpent research. So I would say that the first thing that probably does come to your mind, let's say healthcare, climate action, social justice, inequity, even education, let's say, sort of what, what, what comes to your mind at first is probably what you want to work on because it's something that you're really passionate about and that resonates with you. I think we need to choose something that resonates with us because that ensures us that we're interested in learning more about the problem and going to the root cause of it. And also at the same time, it ensures that we're invested long term in building that solution. I think that would be the first step to developing that idea and getting an idea that that you want to work on. And then I think the second thing would be to see if there's something like that out there already. If there is, you know, is there any flaw with it maybe? Can you, let's say, 
take a similar concept and make it even better going back to let's say solar panels we have many out there but how can we make it better now is something that i'm trying to work on and then i would say lastly do not be afraid to um to combine different forms of technology let's say if you are taking the, the tech route do not just be limited let's say to virtual reality or for example let's say blockchain try combining the two because yeah. Um, from my own experience, I found it that when you combine different technologies together, you get a result that is um, much more efficient. So that that would be my biggest advice. And also going back to, let's say, the newsletter, which was the first part of your question, I would say that the biggest thing is doing a lot of research and finding organizations or companies that can help you. I think that does come from just doing a quick Google search. And you can find a lot of companies that do often have newsletters that you can subscribe to, and then they'll share different opportunities, maybe let's say going to different events that are in the field or or the scope that you want to take um, with your entrepreneurship and applying to grants as well. Um, Initial stage grants or scholarships is, is another thing. Very cool. Thank you for all those ideas. <laughs> you gave us a whole process, uh, which is fabulous. Um, I love the way you, uh, you 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 think in such complex terms, and you're very articulate. So lots to to engage in that. Um, you mentioned the idea of combining two different uh, tools from the scientific advances we have today, and it reminded me that years ago we did a special issue. I used to be the editor of a magazine called Profit. Uh, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs. And we had a special issue on pursuing opportunities. And one thing we did was we created a wheel and, uh, and, and we had all kinds of um, different technologies on it. Now, the technologies in those days were a little less exciting than the ones we have now. But looking at aspects of, of, of new technologies and new markets and saying to entrepreneurs, Take any two of these and see what you can come up with based on your experience, the industries that you're most familiar with, and see what you can do with that. And we said, and for an advanced idea that no one is competing with you on, take three of those (laughs) and mesh them together. And if you don't get it with the first two or the first three, then spin it again and do another couple. (laughs) Sounds like we should revisit that. Yes, definitely. I think I'd be setting that up somewhere like in person. And it could be like, um, like maybe let's say like a hackathon event. Um, yeah. <laughs> and entrepreneurs come together and, and they try to, let's say, win a grant or scholarship or even just a title. That actually sounds like a really smart idea. Yeah. I got nanomaterials and chemical adsorption. And boom, you're after the races. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, We mentioned earlier about the organization that you founded, You Are the Change. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I I feel like for me, as a youth in this space, I really do want other youth to have the opportunity and sort of the courage to take their ideas or their goals to the next level. And that really comes from, from creating like these intergenerational opportunities for young people. And so Essentially, what you are the change um, means, kind of like its title is like anyone can be the change or that you are the change. We're, we're a global youth-led organization where we work with youth to help them leverage their actions and their mindsets to develop solutions to the climate crisis. Um, and so one of our initial projects was a hackathon. So it was an environmental-themed hackathon. We had over 1,000 participants globally. And 
we had over 80 projects submitted, which which ranged from a variety of different technologies. So we had, I think, blockchain. We had, um, I think, a lot of artificial intelligence because that's something that can be leveraged widely. And all these youth coming together and developing a pitch of a project that they want to take to the next level. And we had funding available, which was graciously donated by, by our partnered organizations. And altogether, these youth, they um, designed solutions to a problem that resonated with them and were able to take their projects to the next level with the funding that was awarded to the winners. Very cool. Is that going to be an institution now where we're going to be seeing that every year? So that's something that I'm actually working on. Uh, This summer, we hope to have another hackathon that will be environmental themed as well. We're hoping to more specifically narrow it down. So before it was just about climate change as a whole. Now we want to we want to particularly specify it to, let's say, SDG 7, 9, and one other one, which we are thinking about. Ah, okay. Beautiful. We have a lot of headlines around climate change, about how terrible things are, and how we're not meeting our emissions commitments, and the earth could become a a fiery hellscape. I'm just wondering, you're going to live in this world longer than I am. What do you think the future looks like, and and, and particularly as far as climate change goes, do you think we can get on top of this, get ahead of it? Whenever we talk about climate change, I do have very mixed emotions, just because it's, it's a very sort of like doom topic when we when we read the headlines and we read the news as you mentioned it can it can sometimes feel like that there is going to be no hope Mm -hmm. um but i think that sometimes what i find very helpful and i think what we all need to do is realize that we need to cling on to this hope but we cannot just hope we need to we need to do something we need to take action and so hope will then be followed by action or action comes first then hope so we need to take action and then hope will come after that so for me in particular, when whenever I do read about climate change, um, I do think that right now we are we are not reaching our UN Sustainable Development Goals targets. And that mm-hmm. has been illustrated by the past recent reports. So we are off track. And I think that that is very alarming. It's very scary to think about. There has been more commitments made at the UN Water Conference, which took place in March. So I do think that hopefully their next report we are going to see results. And as well with COP28, we are going to see results. There has been improvements, significant improvements, like the loss and damage fund that happened, that was um, installed during COP27, and um, the first ever children youth pavilion as well. So I do think that we are seeing milestones, but we need to start taking action at the pace and scale required in order to have a planet that is going to that is going to be there for the future generations. And and the latest IPCC report has really highlighted that, especially with the fact that we need to stop oil and gas production in in order for us to stay below the two degrees Celsius of warming point. So I do think that there is hope, but right now what we need is we need action so that hope comes after that. Right. Um, I was in school when I first started hearing about the environment, <laughs> the environmental movement and pollution, uh, which later became the whole climate debate. And I thought our generation was going to be the one to solve that problem. And we weren't. We got distracted and focused on other things. The, the young people you work with, are the, are how focused are they on climate? As I say, you know, it, this is the world we're leaving to them. And I'm sorry about the state that it's in. We should have cleaned up first. But uh, how committed are they to 
to fixing this? I think youth, we have realized that we also need to have our voices heard because this is the planet we are inheriting, which is why there's this global climate movement that is going on. And I do think that we are starting to see results and, and that a lot of that has been due to the fact that youth are advocating, they are designing solutions, which which sort of does advocate back to the fact that we need climate justice immediately. I think that with the youth that I work with, we're all invested into this because this, is, this isn't this is just a problem that affects me or you, it's going to affect the, the next generation as well. And we only have one planet Earth. So I think that that really resonates with young people a lot and they want to have a role in designing these solutions and, and have the opportunity to have a seat at the table so that these decisions that are that are influenced also include their own voices as well. So with the youth that I work with, let's say at my organization, we focus on working with other youth as well internationally and globally that want to leverage their passions in a way to create sustainable change. But then when I look at the work that I'm doing with the Starfish Canada um, for these educational workshops, it's also to teach young people about the climate crisis, because it's not something that everyone does know about to the extent of, of how to take action, let's say, and, or how to, let's say, get involved or be a part of different volunteer opportunities. Um, so I do think that with the youth that I work with, it's, it's all about how do we make the climate crisis resonate with them? How do we make it personal to them so that they want to take action? Because climate crisis, the climate crisis is something that's personal to each of us. Where I'm from, Morocco, um, the climate crisis is something that has struck Morocco really hard, especially with the droughts that the country is facing right now. So for me, the climate crisis is something personal to me because my my family members and, and my community does not have sometimes access to the water that they used to have, let's say, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what we need to do with the young people that I work with, I, I try to make the climate crisis resonate with them. I try to tell them and and um, work with them so that they realize that their actions do play a role. Because sometimes I think... We start to think about, okay, so like, it's just me. I'm just one person. What What is my action going to do? How is it going to make a difference? But really, in hindsight, what, what we really need to start thinking and how we need to reframe this is that, well, I'm one person. My action does matter because it could create this ripple effect that will inspire other young people, let's say in my community or in my class, to take the climate crisis and treat it like a crisis. And it's going to involve all of us. And it's going to involve all of us, meaning that it's also going to involve countries, it's going to involve um, different policymakers. And so we need to be mindful of our own actions, but we also need to push for more climate justice laws. We need to push for and urge um, those in the seats of power to treat the climate crisis like the crisis that it is. Right. Um, and I'm delighted to meet you and talk about this stuff because I think it is the young people who are going to uh, have to solve all this, building on the work that a lot of very good people and very dedicated people have done over the years, but uh, actually getting it done. So <laughs> congratulations on, on what you've done so far and all that, that you're going to do. If someone wants to find out more information about You Are The Change, where should they look? They can look for it on LinkedIn or as well also on Instagram. The link is also on my website, which is linked to my LinkedIn as well. So lots of places you can connect with You Are The Change. And tell us how they find your website. It is right underneath my bio. I think there should be a link on my LinkedIn. Okay, beautiful. All right. Sarah Saeed, do you have any final words of wisdom for others who want to make impact through research, innovation, advocacy? 
my one piece of advice I would like to leave everyone with is you have to create opportunities. You cannot wait for opportunities to come to you. And this really means, let's say, if you if you see a flaw, if you see something that you want to work on, take that as an opportunity to create that change. I was in a meeting the other day and um, someone said that we need to reframe the way that we look at global crises and, and, and see them as gifts to or as an opportunity and as a gift to change the way we respond to them. So I would say that whenever we're faced with a crisis, let us see how we can play a role to change that and to make it, let's say, um, let's let's say to design a positive solution. And then that will eventually lead to more opportunity. So create opportunities in order for opportunities to come to you. That's exactly how it works. I don't know how you've become so smart in such a short period of time. <laughs> it's great <laughs> to talk to you and thank you for sharing all your wisdom and your experience and your ideas with our Startup Canada community. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, we'll keep an eye on you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.